Okay, welcome into the latest edition of Limeland Hoops and History. I'm your host, Matt Childers. Great to be with you. This week's guest is uh, my good friend. It's the uh, former head coach of the Van Wert Cougars. It's Mark Bagley. Uh, coach, welcome into the program. Good to have you with us. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you're adjusting during these extraordinary times and how you're filling your days. Hi, Chili. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, it's been uh, an adventure the last month for sure. I think for all of us, when the weather is nice, we all enjoy getting outside and appreciating what, what nature has to offer. But last week wasn't one of those weeks. So for me, it's been important to get an agenda and get a, a definite schedule every day that I, I try to follow as much as possible, both at home and at school. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And so the key thing is we want to be safe and, and try to get back to a new normal as fast as we can by following the guidelines that have been laid out for us. Yeah, and, and as uh, your, your current job, and then uh, we congratulate you uh, on your uh, addition of uh, uh, becoming the superintendent at Van Wert City Schools, uh, that, uh, or is it Van Wert County Schools. Uh, congratulations. Uh, that's a great uh, honor. I know that uh, you will serve uh, the, uh, the, the students and the uh, community so well. So congratulations on that. We'll be uh, talking about that on another podcast, on another platform on leadership going forward. But I wanted to congratulate you on your new promotion and, and uh, your new role uh, with Van Wert uh, Schools. Thanks, Chili. It's, it's been a little weird not being around kids. Um, that's been my whole life for 27 years, yeah. whether it's uh, on the basketball court or in the classroom or, you know, in my role as a principal uh, or a superintendent. I, I love kids, love to be around them. And, and that's been the hardest part for me is not being able to, to see kids uh, every day. And, and although we have Zoom and remote ways, um, it has been a lot of fun for me um, to deliver things to students' houses, whether it's a Chromebook or homework. Um, and we're trying to be smart about this with, with families. We know that families have a lot on their plate right now. And so uh, it's, it's been a challenge, but yet uh, it's been exciting um, too to, to see how we can help families in this you know difficult time. Yeah, indeed. Uh, extraordinary times. And uh, you mentioned Zoom. We are doing this uh, recording uh, in this podcast on Zoom. So we are grateful for that, and we're grateful that we can connect. Uh, so let, let's start off. Uh, this is Lima Land Hoops and History with Matt Childers and Coach Mark Bagley. Let's just start off with uh, your uh, beginnings of hoops, uh, where you, you go back to uh, your days growing up and uh, then uh, moving into the high school realm. I was really fortunate as a young kid uh, to grow up in a YMCA. We, had a, we have a great YMCA in Van Wert, and, and from – uh, the age of zero to 10, I, I lived at the YMCA. And then when my brothers became players in high school in the early 80s. Um, we were huge Celtic fans. That was the start of, the, of that, that huge rivalry with the Lakers and the Celtics that resumed again. Oh, yeah. um, and so I, I just fell in love with the game of basketball, watching my, my brothers play in high school, especially John, who he played for three years. Um, and I, I just fell in love with basketball at that early age and the NBA in college and, and high school. That's all I really cared about. Um, I remember going to the Y and having um, we'd have NCAA pools. We'd pick you know teams out of a hat and, and have a draw even back in the early 80s. So that's kind of my love uh, 
after the game started. And I was always fortunate, Chili, to have great coaches. My dad was my first coach at the Y, and I had great coaches all the way through um, my basketball experience. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Van Wert uh, has got really a great history of hoops. Uh, so you then moved into high school, and uh, tell us about your experience uh, with that, uh, coupled with uh, being in a conference that was so uh, highly regarded with their basketball programs uh, throughout the years. Uh, talk to us about your high school experiences, Coach. Well, our program started to make the turn when I was in middle school, and and I was part of a very strong class, but um, I, I knew we were to be good uh, coming up because we had classes above us that were really good too. And not many people know this about Van Ward, but Guy Neal was at Van Ward and really helped um, Coach Keith Goff get that defensive background there. And, and obviously Guy is a phenomenal coach in our area at Bluffton University and, and, and uh, had a lot of impact on, on me at basketball camps as, as a young kid, as a freshman. And then as we moved on throughout Van Wert, we were just very fortunate. As a, in 1987 was the very first Van Wert team to make it to Columbus. And, and that, in fact, it wasn't Columbus. I, I say that because I'm so used to saying Columbus. It was Dayton that year. Um, and so I was very fortunate um, throughout high school to play on great teams, have great memories. Um, and, and, in fact, my senior year, we were 18-2 and two and lost the league to Salina who finished 12 and eight. Um, we had two league losses. They had one. And, and even though we beat them by 20 points, we still did not win the league. That, and that shows you how great our league was. And just amazing coaches and personalities in my high school career, the WBL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, Salina lost some non-conference games that year. Yeah, they did. And they had that, that magic run. Uh, you know, the WBL has nine games, and they had five games at home, uh, and they won all those. And, and the games on the road, they lost only to us. Um, the, and that was one of the games they lost, the only one they lost. And so they played a very tough non-conference. They were a Division One, Division Two team at that time. They were always on going back and forth, and their non-conference schedule was outstanding too. So the record was a little misleading, but again – um, it was just a weird year for, for us that year uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Western Buckeye League. Yeah. Uh, I was reading Mike Shep's book, uh, the former broadcaster uh, on uh, WOSN, WTLW, and did some work for us on the radio uh, called Game Night. And he talked about uh, in his uh, book, the St. Henry Redskins, so dominant from 1989 to 1991 and he said how dominant during those two seasons the Redskins Redskins went 51 and 2 winning two state championships both losses were to Van Wert so before we dive into the WBL what was in the uh suit there for uh, Van Wert versus St. Henry and, and there's more to that story Chili. the year before that I think they lost three games um and that was my senior year we beat them at St. Henry we upset them at St. Henry at the time it was an upset uh, we didn't, we weren't sure how good we were going to be, but, um, and that's when Bobby Hoyne and, and that whole crew were all sophomores. And that kind of started a, a, a really cool rivalry. The next two years I was in college, I did not, I was not able to attend either game uh, due to other commitments, but I've watched both games. And the game at St. Henry two years later was one of the best basketball games I've ever seen. Yeah. Tons of skill. Uh, it was a packed house. 
In fact, I think I tried to maybe come back, but I knew that it was going to be sold out. and I had to be there at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And that's kind of old school, uh, you know, lore of waiting three hours before the game started and those kind of things. So yeah. I chose not to go that, you know, I was a college kid and that wasn't, you know, quite as important. That's, cutting into, that's cutting into happy hour, my friend. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, that was that was just prior to uh, the uh, the coach that you coached with for many years and Dave Fralick. That was uh, Keith Noss, correct? Yeah, Coach Noss was my coach and just an incredible basketball mind. And he he lived, died, and breathed basketball. You talk to any coach, uh, and that was his strength, and, and, it, and it ultimately became one of his weaknesses. And, and um, you know, since that time, as I played for him, I, I've talked to Coach Knopf's, and, and our relationship is good. Um, but there were some things, you know, as you play for a coach, you don't always agree with. And, and I've, take, I've tried to take all the good things um, that Coach Knopf's provided for me because he was outstanding. Three trips to Columbus, you have to tip your, cat, uh, your, your hat to uh, yeah. Coach Knopf's and his success at Van Wert. For sure, for sure. I thought that was a really interesting nugget in Mike Shep's book uh, that Van Wert was the only team in those two years to beat a St. Henry team that won two state championships. Let's move into the WBL. Uh, if you would, just describe uh, what it was like to be a part of that conference uh, that has uh, such a history in hoops. It's incredible that a lot of teams, the WBL, played each other twice back in the 80s and early 90s even. We always played Elida twice. We played Shawnee twice. We played Bath twice sometimes. Uh, St. Mary's was, was in a holiday tournament with us. So even then, the non-league and league games were incredible. And the personalities that, that were there, uh, when, when you talk about Keith Noss and Dave Frelick and Van Wert, you talk about Chris Adams at Elida, Dave Sweet uh, at, at Otto Glandorf, uh, Jeff Heaston at Shawnee, and, and JJ, Jeff Genitis at – St. Mary's. There were so many personalities during that late 80s, early 90s. They had coached for a long time. And many of these coaches now are in the Hall of Fame. I, I just took that for granted. Like, that's how it was everywhere. There, there was a mentor. There was a mentorship program. And people just followed that way. But that was just a really, really unreal time in the WBL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the venues, uh, the Elida Fieldhouse, the Supreme Court at Ottawa, Lapham Gymnasium, the Salina, uh, I guess, would that be called the Fieldhouse uh, at Salina, and uh, so many others. Your gym, I, I always kind of harken back to the old school. Defiance had a great old school gym. You guys did. Uh, what was your uh, most intimidating venue, and what was your favorite venue to play in, besides your own, of course? Of course, the Den was our favorite venue. We knew that was a huge home court advantage for us. Um, but the hardest was by far out of Glendor. First of all, their program was and still is outstanding. And they didn't have the, the end zone there, so it was even packed even tighter. Oh, that's that end right. zone was, right. was added later on. And so that was just an unbelievable feeling there as well. Um, you know, Defiance was very similar to our gym in a way. It's, it's kind of flip-flop, but very similar to our gym with the stage and those kind of things. Um, love playing Defiance, um, too. They had loose rims. We always bragged about that. Uh, going up there, we knew it was, it was a great shooting gym. Um, it, to be honest with you, um, the worst success of any gym I've ever had has been Salina. 
I lost my first game there as a player in middle school and continued to have unbelievably weird games there uh, up until the last time I coached in that gym. We're up 15 points with four minutes to go, and a 1,000-point scorer misses uh, six free throws in the last three minutes, and we lose the buzzer on a tip-in. So Salina probably has the worst memories of any gym. Uh, it was almost like a coliseum feel, feeling where you're down there in the bowl and all the fans were above you ready to attack. Yeah, I love, I love uh, all the old school gyms, and we've had so many great ones around the area. Um, who, who would you have considered your biggest rival in the WBL? Well, they probably don't consider us theirs, but but I don't Glendorf, I think, just because it was always such a huge challenge. I think when when, when we played and, and against them, that we knew that was the the ultimate. Elida became a huge um, rival when Chris Adams came because Chris was so intent on changing that program and turning that program around. Uh, he was obsessed with everything Elida, and that was players like we wouldn't have beat them so bad because we knew how bad he wanted to beat us. And so I would say those two without question were as a player, our, our two biggest rivals. Yeah. And uh, I remember you telling the story about uh, one of your uh, uh, games at the Elida Fieldhouse and the kind of unique circumstances to the beginning of the pregame. Yeah. It, we were undefeated uh, my sophomore year and, and um Elida was really starting to turn the corner and we'd already beaten them at our place. I think it was a non-league game at their place and it may have been a league game, but anyways, we came to warm up and there was no Elida team on the floor. We warmed up for back then it was 20 minutes. It was 15 minutes and Elida had not taken the floor. And all of a sudden there was a huge noise and the Elida team came through the upper doors of the field house. <laughs> back then they had their old gym. They warmed up in their old gym and Coach Adams brought them down both sets of stairways. They crisscrossed in front of us warming up. We were just kind of like stopped and like, what's going on? And the next thing you know, we're down 15 nothing, and lose a close game. But that's the kind of energy that our league and Coach Adams brought to, to uh, the WBL. So I'm imaging this because that's such a great place to watch a game. And uh, just even recently uh, watching uh, – Columbus Grove and Kaleida in the district finals there. When it's packed, it's so loud. Uh, when you you describe that, I'm imaging, was Coach Adams running down the stairs as well, or was he already in the gym? You know, I don't remember that because I was a player, but my, my best guess, and Coach Adams will remember, because we've told a lot of stories back and forth. He remembers everything. My guess is he, he ran down the stairs with him, with yeah. him. And, and right. I could see him diving on the center – center bulldog and, and getting people pumped up with his towel that he used to carry around with him. Oh, that's fantastic. So, all right. So uh, you, you, you look at those rivalries uh, you know, we talked about St. Henry outside, obviously that's a outside the WBL rivalry. Uh, who else? You got LCC in there, Delta St. John's, uh, Crestview. Who else would you consider that, uh, that, that you would have played in those days? We didn't play Crestview and Lincolnview back in those days. That was kind of a no-no in our era. And then we got that started later on, which I'm glad we did. That's a great game for both Crestview and Lincolnview. But yeah. St. John's was also um, my senior year in 89. We broke a, like a 29-game losing streak at Delphi St. John's. It was like wow. – uh, and 
since the fifties or something that we had beaten St. John's at St. John's. So you, you always wanted to exercise demons that when you, when you played at the Vatican, because you knew that their crowd was incredible. They're very similar to OG, very knowledgeable. And they always sensed when their team needed a, a run and, and um, also needed a boost of energy from with noise levels. So St. John's was an LCC became a big rival. Um, uh, we, we beat them, their state team, uh, under Coach Segerson in 1989. It was a great team, and we beat them at our place that year. But they had a lot of great players, a lot of successful players on that team that went on to do great things uh, later on. And, and that was kind of uh, the start of Coach Segerson's run through a magical career that obviously finished up with a, a state title when he retired. So that became a big rivalry, too, because uh, – our coach, Coach Knopf and Coach Segerson were very similar as far as their intensity on, on to prepare and win. Yeah, that's great. Those are that's great memories. I I do agree with you when it comes to the Vatican, Delphi St. John's, Robert A. Arns and Gymnasium, that they were an intelligent fan base. They knew you said it best. They knew when they were making runs, and they knew when they needed to uh, inspire their uh, their home team to. Uh, to to uh, to greatness, even in that Mike Shep book, I think Fran Vol, the girls' coach, lost like three games in that gym uh, over a, a, a ten-year period, and they were very difficult to beat uh, in that gymnasium. That's those are great uh, great takes, Coach. Uh, uh, let me ask you this, because every every coach that I'm talking to, because it's Limeland hoops in history, we talk about you know the greatness. There's so many great players. Uh, but you start with those four players who uh, combined for five Mr. Basketballs. Um, you know, this era, this area, Coach Sagerson always talks about going to five-star and, you know, Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim and Joey Meyer asking him, what, what's going on in Lima, Ohio with all of these great players coming out? But, you know, you start with Greg Simpson. He came – all these guys come, like, right after your high school uh, – uh, your, your high school days. Uh, Greg Simpson, Aaron Hutchins, uh, then you move into Jamar Butler, who you would coach against. Why, why don't Why don't we take it from wherever you'd like to start with with those guys? Well, I'll start first of all with Greg Simpson. He was one of the the best athletes for his size that I ever saw play. Um, we actually scrimmaged them when he was a freshman, and I knew right then and there they had they had uh, unbelievably talent even then and he was able to break the, the lineup and play quite a bit uh, Richard Glover if you remember that name from the past oh, yeah. in Lyman, Dunker. he went on to play uh, defensive end at Michigan State he was a freak athlete but Greg had the ability to score and, and I remember um, just watching him play even as a freshman how he could just score when he wanted to it's almost like he would pick and choose the great players can do that and throughout his career, he just was such a phenomenal scorer. And he had lots of volumes of shots as far as how many took, but but he was he was incredible. Um, and then you go to, to players like Hutchins um, and Jamar. Those two reminded me very similar of each other as far as their demeanors. Um, and even so, more, more so with Jamar, because Jamar is more familiar with me because just coaching against them. And in fact, we had our own rules called the Jamar rules that we still have. I'm not sure they're trademarked or not, but they didn't work very well. I think he had 46 in a game against us. But um, Jamar was just – he was an assassin as far as how he 
he, he uh, picked you apart. He was a great passer, underrated defender, and could run the show. And, and Hutchins was, was just – he was coached real so well by Coach Segerson. And then hit the system he played under, he was able to dominate so many games because his fundamental – and you could tell he had spent so much time on his skill level. I always felt bad for him because one of my, my, my biggest memories is, is him missing several free throws. He's a 90% free throw shooter in Columbus – and in fact, I remember leaving the old St. John Arena and watching him miss those free throws from the TV as I was leaving because I thought the game was over. They had won. And I always felt bad about that because, you know, you just never know, uh, you know, even if you put hours and hours of time in, sometimes things don't work out for you. And that was a game where I saw that. But all three of those guys, wow. I mean, for guard play in, in, in Northwest Ohio, they, they, were, they were unbelievable. Yeah, I'll save the fourth for a little later. We'll talk uh, a little bit about uh, some of the great players that uh, have been in our area recently and then went on to play in the Big Ten, uh, that being Xavier Simpson. Uh, so uh, all of that happens with your playing career. You have this great uh, experience, memories growing up, playing, uh, watching your brothers play, all that success at Van Wert. Uh, and then you go off to college, uh, tell everybody where uh, college led you. And then uh, it ultimately led you ended up back at uh, Van Wert uh, as a as a coach on the coaching staff. Yeah, I was so blessed to go to Taylor University. Uh, my, my brother and sister went there. Uh, it, it was a small Christian college in the middle of a cornfield, about an hour and a half away. It was far enough away that I wasn't too close to home. But I, I had every intention to play basketball there. In fact, uh, in the summer uh, of 1989, I, I was going to go there to work camp. That, they had a really traditional uh, prestigious camp that that coach Paul Patterson who won over 800 games in his career at Taylor ran and it had it was one of the best camps in the Midwest mm. and the day I was leaving we got a phone call on our, on our home phone there was no cell phones and my dad was at, at a conference in Portland Ohio and had a heart attack and so my brother and I of course got in the car not knowing for two and a half hours what's going on raced up there and he was in the hospital for three days and we didn't leave and Everything came out fine, and, and they were able to treat him, and he's still doing great today. But that day, I think my priorities started to change. And I, I said, do I really want to put this much time into something when you're paying that much money to go to college? And so I went to college with the intent of playing, um, and I decided not to. But the one thing I did is I stayed involved. I, w I was a, a sports information director at Taylor I kept stats for the basketball team. My roommates were all basketball players. Um, and in fact, um, Taylor had an unbelievable run during my four years, made to the final four in the NAIA. Uh, my college roommate um, is still a head coach today in Indiana. And I got to meet two current head coaches that are good friends. And uh, John uh, Gross, who's now at was at Illinois, now is at Akron, and also Chris Holtman, the head coach at Ohio State. So I was so blessed to be around a head coach and Paul Patterson. I went to a lot of their practices. We won a lot of games. And then the, the friends I met and the guys that are still coaching today at various levels, whether it's high school or college, I, I learned so much uh, at college about the game of basketball, even more so. What, what, a, what a ride I had. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and to have that uh, just, uh, you know, a little – our west of uh, Van Wert being able to uh, really plug into 
some great basketball and some great mentors there. Uh, why don't you uh, share uh, with our audience the uh, next step? You, you end up graduating from uh, Taylor and then you decide, hey, I know I wanted to be a coach and I'm going to do that. I'm going to come back uh, close to hometown. You went to Ottoville. I did. It's interesting. I interviewed at Van Wert. You know, I'm a hometown boy. It didn't work out. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I went to Ottoville. Uh, I met my future wife. She was a nurse in Columbus, but there were some local connections in Ottoville that got us, got us introduced and, and met her. And then at Ottoville, we had six coaches that I'm still good friends with today. In fact, three of those friends are superintendents. There's a principal, um, a head coach, uh, and also a, a teacher that we, we still are in contact with. So those two years at Ottaville were great. I learned a lot. We weren't real good. Um, I found out that, that Ottaville is the ultimate Mayberry as far as they, they live, died, and breathed basketball, even more so than maybe even me. Um, but I learned a lot in those two years and, and then got a chance to come home. and. Uh, I came home to Van Wert, and, and ironically, when I got hired on, I did not have a coaching job. I was going to be a volunteer yeah. assistant, and I went to Ohio State team camp with Coach Frelick, and that, that's basically the first time we had met, um, and we spent a week together, and I knew right then and there that I wanted to coach with Dave Frelick. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so how did you uh, become a coach then if uh, there wasn't any uh, op opportunity when you first started? Uh, what took place, and then what that lead to? Well, in, in July of that summer, um, our JV coach uh, um, that coached at Van Wert, he left and went home to be at uh, Fort Recovery. His name was Joe Bruns, and Joe went on to take a team to state at Fort Recovery. So Joe left to go home, and that opened a uh, coaching job for me. And, and I went from – I coached eighth grade in Ottaville, and I went to JV at Van Wert. And – that led to 18 great years with uh, Coach Freilich. And our first few were rough. Uh, we, had some, we had some trying times, not really good teams. But we had a freshman named Corey Sinning that we knew could help turn our program around, and he certainly did. And, and, and from that point on, we were very successful for a long time. And uh, it was 18 years uh, of pure joy uh, with Coach Freilich. Uh, uh, Ten of those as JV coach, eight as varsity assistant. And, what an unbelievable mentor to me because a lot of people in this profession don't get mentors anymore. They, they get into the game too fast, and it leaves a sour taste. And, and that never happened to me. I was very, very blessed and very fortunate. Yeah, uh, Dave's a great guy and uh, one of the great coaches. Just uh, recently went into the Ohio uh, Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, when you think of uh, describing – the idea of coaching JV and being the head coach, kind of having your own program, quote unquote, versus being an assistant coach uh, that you became. Uh, what's the difference there? And uh, how does that work for a high school coach? The, the difference is really um, the expectations of a head coach. And I learned even, even at Ottaville about a program, whether you're a seventh grade coach or a varsity assistant, you're part of a program. And I knew right then, Yes, I had my own team as a JV coach, but I was going to run, maybe not quite as much, the same program as our varsity. We were really big on, on doing the same thing, same terminology uh, throughout our programs. So, yeah, having your own team, there are some organizational things, some paperwork that's a little bit different than being a varsity assistant. As a varsity assistant, I did a lot more, obviously, specific game prep for the varsity team, a lot more film watching, 
for the varsity team. But really, when you're part of a true program, which is what I learned as an early coach by experience and by, by watching at Ottaville and also Van Wert and being a part of that is, uh, it's all duties as a sign. And when you have a head coach as a servant leader, uh, like I had at Ottaville and, um, and, and at Van Wert with Coach Freilich, that makes everybody's job more enjoyable and easier. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, 18 years there. And then you become the head basketball coach at Van Wert. Uh, give us a little feel for that. Yeah, that was one of those days where uh, Coach Frelick and I talked all the time and uh, I, I was ready to get going on spring. I, I was antsy to get going on spring. And I, I walked over and I said, Fro, I'm ready. I, I know you've said, let's wait a little bit. I'm ready. And he got up like only Coach Frelick could and did the saunter. We all know the saunter walk over the door and shut the door. And he said, you're ready. And that's all he said. And he sat down and he said, I'm, I'm going to resign um, here. And, and I want you to be the next head coach. Are you ready? And he knew I was ready. He wanted to hear what I had to say. And so that's when it all started right then. I, I started thinking that way. I obviously interviewed for the job and got it. And we knew – Coach Fro said, your next couple of years will be very tough because uh, of what we had coming back and just different things that were going on. We knew that the, the, the classes were going to be tough. And it was. My first two years were really tough. But the next four were all winning years, uh, and it culminated in, in a really enjoyable, a very unique senior year for um, our last year for me and, and, and for the kids I, that I coached since first grade in, in my son's class. Uh, a really, really enjoyable finish to our year. Didn't end the way we wanted to, but, but really six years as the head coach, what, what, all the memories that I have now are all positive and the relationships were great. And uh, I ended on, on my terms and, and that's what sometimes it, a lot of coaches don't get to do that. I did and, and it just didn't end the way you wanted to. It, it does it for most teams. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's been a heck of a ride and uh, a lot of fun that's uh, been uh, really uh, an integral part of what we call the uh, Lima Land Hoops uh, area, which is about a 10-county area that uh, we've had so much uh, fun covering and so much uh, enjoyable uh, games to be able to uh, watch uh, when you do. Uh, just, just take me through. Uh, you mentioned Corey Sinning. Uh, take me through uh, because he was he would also be in that next tier down from. The, the guys that won Mr. Basketball. And uh, you had some great tournament games at the old Lima Senior where it was like we always called it the, the WBL uh, sectional or the WBL tournament. Uh, share us with that. And then let's, let's move into, uh, with our remaining minutes, uh, some, some thoughts on Dakota Mathias and then Xavier Simpson as we just kept getting better and better basketball players uh, to be able to view. On court sitting, uh, he's like a son to me. He, I, I was still – I was newly married and had no kids, and we'd go to the Y every day. And I was still young enough where I could work out with him and play him one-on-one -on -one and play him, you know, two-on-two, -two, whatever that may be, playing open gyms. And we did everything together. Uh, when he was eighth grade, freshman, I, I was his teacher um, at school. And I've never seen somebody – put more time to the game than Corey sitting, you know, firsthand. I, I, 
I, w- I would compare him with Dakota. I, I know Dakota very well, um, and he'd work out of Van Wert, but, the, but from a personal side of someone I coached, um, there was no one close to Corey Sinning as far as work ethic. He was not a great athlete, but he was an unbelievable worker, and he was a self-made player. And, and uh, you know, the success that he had individually and collectively, we never again quite made it to where we wanted to. But just to get out of districts at that time, the, the talent level was incredible in our area. and There were so many great players. Um, but what, what always strikes me about Corey is when I talk to Corey even now is his incredible drive to be the best. He went on to play the Army, had a, had a very successful career there, played under Jim Cruz, who was a Bob Knight disciple, yeah. um, and really learned a lot of great life lessons. And Corey's doing great. Um, out in San Francisco right now. I just talked to him a little while ago, but he, like only Corey could say is, my roots are Midwest. I want, I want to get back home. And mm-hmm. so I, I look for Corey to move back back to this area at some point in time because he wants to raise his family. He's got, he's got a little girl and, 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 uh, and another one on the way that he wants to do, do that in the Midwest, I think. And, and we'll see, but uh, just only positive memories about Corey and, and, and what a great player he was and a great person he is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what, what is he, uh, what, what field is, is Corey sending in these days? He's in pharmaceutical sales. Uh, he, he's gone at a variety of levels. He's, he's sold things, but he's also gone at a corporate level. So he's been very successful. He, he got out of the military after his commitment was up and, and went to that. And uh, he's just a really savvy businessman too. Yeah, good for him. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Dakota Mathias uh, for a moment. Dakota is one of those guys where we, we had a lot of success against Dakota as, young, as a young player, um, and they had some really good teams as well. But we knew Dakota, even back to middle school watching him play, just knew he was such a thinker. Uh, and then you just knew he, he worked. His, his preparation and detail – to get ready for a game was incredible from his stretching routines with bands to, to what he did every, every single time out on the floor. And he just kept on getting better and better and better. And he stayed healthy. One of the things his brothers could not do is stay healthy. They, they had knee issues and Dakota had some minor things that happened with wear and tear, but Dakota was able to stay healthy and his uh, IQ, the game, his work ethic, um, and then his ability to make other players better was off the charts and it was fun to watch him grow and get older uh, and to have a great career at Purdue. And then even to come back and he worked out in our gym one day when he graduated from Purdue uh, to, to, to start to play either overseas or in the uh, NBA or D league. And just to see again, his attention to detail and preparation, just a great kid. He's one of those guys where I love playing against him, but, but I, I, I kind of like watching him play. And, and sometimes when, when you're there, you just watch him play. Yeah, oh, for sure, man. What a, what a cerebral player and uh, was able to do it in, on so many different levels. Had so much fun watching him uh, in high school, junior high, and then uh, in the college ranks, was able to see him play uh, in two Big Ten tournaments. The two Big Ten tournaments that were outside of the Indy Chicago uh, area that uh, were in D.C. and and uh, New York City, and uh, the guy that uh, ended up beating him in both those games, or you know, the team was Michigan, and that's the uh, the last of the uh, Mr. Basketballs in Ohio from Lima's area. It's Xavier Simpson, 
uh, what, what did you think of uh, his career uh, coming up and then high school and, and uh, then into the Michigan ranks? Xavier exceeded my expectations. You know, watching him play at LCC and Lionel Senior, I think Xavier, it was hard for him in high school because I think when he was at LCC, the question was always there, will you ever go to Lionel Senior? And then once his father got the job there, that was always going to be the rumor. And so, you know, as a young kid, to tell, you know, everybody telling you how great you are, but then have to make decisions about where, do you stay at LCC where you've been very successful under Coach Kill or do you go to play for your dad? Um, what do you do there? So I think there was some unfair criticism probably labeled on him that would made it harder for him. But he, he's a worker and a grinder. He really, really worked hard. And he's probably one of the biggest workout guys out there, him and Dakota. Uh, and people don't know that probably about Xavier, but he really worked hard just because his shot wasn't perfect or whatever. Uh, and then he went on to at Michigan and really was a tremendous leader and he was a true point guard and developed some different shots. What I always thought about him was how strong he was. His upper body was incredible. Mm. And I, I knew he was going to be a great defender. I didn't know he could score as much as he did in, in, uh, in college and, and, and even in high school. But um, what an outstanding career. And went through a lot of adversity to get there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that's uh, a very, very good look at uh, the, uh, the Limeland hoops and history uh, with uh, Coach Mark Bagley. I want to get to one last thing. We're uh, doing this on the weekend that the last dance starts, and that's the documentary, the 10-part documentary that ESPN is going to be showing. Uh, two of them uh, will be played this weekend uh, with the last dance. What are your memories of Michael Jordan, that era? You talked earlier about being a Celtics fan. Give us your thoughts. I grew up as an unbelievable Celtics loyalist. It was all about Celtics pride. So I remember like learning to not dislike Michael Jordan when he scored 62 points when he was uh, just starting his career against the Celtics. And so I now, as a adult, appreciate how great he was because I think in the heat of the moment, it was all about the Celtics. And now – I've learned to appreciate how great Michael Jordan really was. And the guys in, in his time, he had the drive like no one I've ever seen. And, and you can never, ever replicate the starting lineup for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, simple as that. Like with, with, with the announcing and the, and the song and the way they did the whole thing at the old barn in Chicago, even that you can never replicate again. It, it was the best starting lineup ever. And the last name was always North Carolina Michael Jordan and just incredible roar. So I have learned to appreciate that. The cool thing is my family has to, uh, to be able to watch it together as a family. And my son even said, you know, I'm so excited for the last dance to, to start. And that, that'll be a fun family get together that normally in a normal year, you know, in the normal times, we couldn't do that as a family. And, and, and so we can do it as a family this year. And that's exciting. Yeah, for sure. Coach, uh, we're up against it. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, publishing our podcast. I really appreciate your time, appreciate your friendship, and uh, all the times you've uh, made yourself available, uh, not only to uh, our studios, but uh, to uh, our airwaves uh, that we were able to uh, catch up, have some fun talking hoops in this uh, extraordinary time that we're going through. I wish uh, you and your family all the best, and I look forward to uh, catching up with you real soon uh, in person, pal. Thanks, Chile, and looking forward to seeing you too. On to part two next.
On to part two. We'll, we'll do it. You know it. Uh, that's right. We'll be coming back uh, part two, and uh, it's going to be a uh, nice little addition here with Coach Mark Bagley. All, all the best, Coach. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chili. Okay, welcome back. This is part two with Coach Mark Bagley on Lima Land Hoops and History. I'm your host, Matt Childers. Uh, Coach, we were just finishing up talking about uh, back in uh, the uh, uh, the 70s and 80s playing basketball, you know, in the driveway, open gyms, two-on-two, three-on-three, those type of games uh, coming up on organized games and the difference between that and AAU basketball. And you were saying that you thought today might give us that opportunity based on the social distancing and being isolated a little bit to be working on your own game, uh, maybe in your backyard, maybe in your driveway. What? But let's just put uh, a ribbon on that uh, piece of the conversation, then we'll get into the 2020 uh, basketball season. We really need to use this opportunity to have time. And time is our friend right now with family and with different things. And one of the things that I haven't mentioned is the technology now with Outdoor basketball hoops has gotten better with the gorillas and some of those things. And that has really helped, I, I think, with, with people that, that can go outside and shoot and, and use their own house as a backstop. I think this will require us to really do a lot of things by ourselves, And even in the weightlifting aspect of doing things like push-ups, using sandbags, uh, using anything in the house that can allow people to use their body weight to get stronger. So I really believe that this could be a renaissance and maybe go back to the skill level workouts that are needed to become better. And it's not always about shooting. There's strength and ball handling and passing and catching and, and just uh, to do those kind of things uh, in a way where we're not able to be together uh, could really help our game in the long run. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a game we both love and uh, it's been very good to both of us, uh, especially you and your playing, your coaching career, and uh, uh, being able to coach uh, all of those great kids, including your son last year. Um, yeah, uh, what one reflection before we get into this year? One reflection on uh, your your 2019 season and uh, that uh, that great district game, the overtime game that took place at Ohio Northern. Well, the the best reflection is we finished the right way. Uh, we we came off a great football season that. We got a late start. I knew we'd struggle. Our schedule was brutal. We, we played a great early schedule, and we weren't very good early on, and we had a lot of football in us, but I knew we were going to be okay. And we went from three and seven and ended up winning, I think, 11 of our last 12 games. And, and uh, just one of the best games I've been involved with, with, with Shawnee, and, and they made all the plays down the stretch. It just was a, a heartbreaking way to finish, but – we finished playing our best basketball. And as a coach, that's all you can ever ask is play your best basketball. Unfortunately, you don't always win. And that's the lifelong lessons you learn. But uh, got to coach a great group of kids throughout my, you know, my, my, my tenure. And the four seniors are like sons to me. I, I, I coached them since, since they were in first grade. And obviously, coaching your own son is, is a challenge, but it was enjoyable. And, um, we had a closure, and that's the one thing that I, I think about this year as we head on to this year is I had a closure, and, yeah. and some of these coaches and teams don't have closure. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's push the closure off for just a moment. Uh, you did a number of, of ball games uh, this year uh, on uh, WOSN 
WTLW. Uh, a, how did you enjoy that as opposed to coaching? And, and uh, uh, B, uh, what was your take on some of the headlines this year coming out of our area? I absolutely loved it. I love being part of the game. Uh, I know the coaches well. I know the referees well. A lot of interactions socially that I never had before because I was so tuned into the game that I really enjoyed this year. And after the game was over, I enjoyed, you know, going out to eat and, and doing things with colleagues and, and friends that I never could really feel like I, I could enjoy as much before. And so I loved it. And, and the atmospheres I got to be a part of, uh, the, I'm not sure I've been, you know, the last 10 years in a better atmosphere than the Shawnee Auto Landorf game. That gym was packed, uh, was a great game, um, high skill level, uh, two great coaches, two great teams. And so that was a highlight for me this year. And I really was looking forward to doing the division two and three regional finals, but those never happened. So I, I loved it. It was great to be a part of the game in a different way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I went up, uh, but I was at the game. We sat near each other uh, on press row that night uh, with OG and Shawnee. And then I was at the uh, Columbus Grove in the Parkway semifinals. I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a happier coach than Coach Hughes after the, the Parkway win in the semifinal game. And uh, that, that, that takes us to uh, what looked like we could have four teams uh, that would be at state and eat one in each division. Uh, from our area where you have Shawnee, you have Ottawa Glandorf, Columbus Grove, Lima Senior, uh, potentially Parkway. Uh, what are your thoughts and how, how would you and what would your message be to these uh, young kids and these coaches uh, that really didn't get that closure that you talked about uh, you had in 2019 with your club? That, that's a, one of the hardest things that I've thought about. I've not been involved, you know, personally with any of those teams as far as coaching them this year. But I get emotional talking about it because there was no closure for them. And they're seniors that never get another chance. And look at, at, at teams like Parkway, who had never been to the regionals before. And right. now they're playing for a trip to Columbus. Columbus. And, and, you know, I, I think that you have to be positive as a coach. I've got a book that I'm reading right now that has quotes in it um, from John Gordon that says, stay positive. And I go back to Tony Bennett um, when they lost as a, as a one seed to the 16th seed the next year, the line he used, if you learn to use it right, the adversity you face will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. Mm. And, and, you know, I would look forward to the next year for those teams that, that, that come back to have that opportunity to turn the page. But it's hard because we're, we're talking about unprecedented what happened this year. And, I've got so many good friends that were at that level, the regional final. And I even go to Columbus with Brett Norris, who I, who's an outstanding friend and coach. That I asked him the question, how do you move on? He said, um, I'll never get over this, but I got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, it, that's, uh, that's a glimpse into really the mindset of what I would think are a lot of people's feelings on that. Um, you, John Gordon, I, uh, he's the author of the energy bus. Is that, is that right? Yeah, my first book that I read from John Gordon is The Energy Bus, and I've, I've been a John Gordon fan ever since. He, it's simple. It, all his books are two-hour reads or less, and, and the message is it's about positivity. And, and yeah. again, in these times, you got to find a way to be positive when things are, are tough. And, and the best way I find it to be positive is 
number one, to have, a, have some kind of schedule or routine, and number two, get outside and go for a walk or go play golf or, or do something that it feels like you're, you're, you're getting out of the norm of just sitting around and watching Netflix or TV all day. Makes sense. No, that's great advice. Uh, I just started the energy bus. I'm going to find out what George, uh, what comes about with George is I'm uh, on like, you know, page like 20. So, um, all right. So if we think about the 2020 season, had a couple of uh, really good headlines there and captured it with your broadcasting pieces and being able to be courtside to see up close in person what happened. How would you describe, if we just talk about uh, your uh, being prescient and, and really predicting, you predicted it on our radio program, you thought Shawnee would win uh, both the uh, Lima Senior game and the Ottawa-Glandorf game, and indeed they did. They ended up 25-0. and 0. How would you describe, A, how you came to that conclusion, and in addition to that, describe what you thought of the Shawnee Indians this year? It's interesting. The last about five years, I've become really good friends with Mark Triplett. I think as a young coach coming in, uh, I felt the need. I wanted to help him and mentor him too as well. Shawnee's a tough place to coach, um, and he came in there in pretty tough times. Um, and I thought he really, really matured and grew over the last five years. And, and, and Mark and I talked a lot, and he just talked about He just kept on saying bags, this team. There's something about this team, the way we practice, the way they hang out, the way they're together all the time off the floor. I just feel like this is a, is a team that every day they come to work. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I feel really good. And, and we had a lot of conversations. He asked for a lot of advice. And the more I watch them play, I watch them a lot. I'll, you know, I still have access to huddle and, and different things. Um, I think George Mangus had one of the best individual stat years I've ever seen a high school player have in the last 30 years. That says a lot. I'm not saying he's the best. Right. But I'm, say, I'm saying his, his stat year was incredible. And they had all the pieces and all the role players that didn't care about scoring like Tyson Elwer um, and a fiery point guard and good role players. I just felt like they were a team of destiny this year. And it, it was one of those things. It was a feel, but also they all accepted their roles. And I, and I sensed that the year before against us, um, when they beat us, I, 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 I sensed that they, they were all believing in the Shawnee program 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, if, you're, if you're those two teams in particular, Columbus Grove and Shawnee, because you ended the AP poll number one, uh, you were 25-0, and 0, both teams. Uh, if you're the head coach or if you're the athletic director at those schools, you hanging a banner? I'm doing something. I, I'm, I'm giving every player a, a plaque that has their picture on it with, you know, um, you know, pole state champions. Uh, that, that would be a discussion. I think that that would be great for the athletic, you know, board to have. And, and um, it, it's a hard thing to say I'd hang a banner, but there would be something special for that group. And that, that will forever be the what if, teams but for me you have to honor and respect the success they had and so something would have to be done and and every school is different um but you know personally there there needs to be something done you know for 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 a lot of different schools yeah and maybe that'll be closure yeah i gotta tell you i'd hang that band i'd hang a banner saying you know ap poll number one in the state I, i think other people have done that in the past um, but you're right. You 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 hit it right right on square on the head. Something needs to be done that uh, recognizes that is uh, 
being not only a very special year, a unique year, but the, the success that, that those programs had. Um, where do you think George Mangus, he's got one more year to play. Where do you think a guy like, uh, you know, you talked about Dakota Mathias, you talked about some of the, the great players in the WBL over the years. Where do you think a guy like uh, George Mangus ends up in, in college? Well, it's funny because people ask me, well, George shoots 70% because all he does is shoot layups. And I said, well, if we were all that smart as coaches, all our players would shoot layups and average 30 <laughs> points a game and shoot 70%. Um, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just think that he has, the it, he has the it factor, Chili, and I would not sell him short anywhere he goes. No. He's good at everything. He's a competitor. He doesn't get too high or too low. Um, I, I would love – if I was a match, I would be all over that. I, I think he's a Mac player um, at worst and maybe higher than that um, because the things he can do – I think of like Ryan Mikesell um, that played at St. Henry who had a really nice career at Dayton. Yeah, um, sure. George sure is a little bit different. George is a little different player, maybe not quite as long, but and maybe not quite as good a ball handler. But I think George should go somewhere like that and, and really be outstanding. I, I just – I fell in love with that kid. I, I think he's got ice water in his veins. I think he wants to take the big shot. Um, I, I, he's one of my favorite players I've, I've ever seen play, to be honest with you. I, I love that kid. Yeah. Man, that's really well said and high praise coming from all of the, the, the players that you've seen throughout – the years in, in George Mangus. Well, it is a shame that we'll never be able to see the uh, uh, the results of what would, would have taken place in those regionals and potentially in the state basketball tournament. I certainly missed it this year. Uh, I will say this. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. I did want to have my uh, Lima Land closure game, uh, the final four with uh, either Grove or, or Parkway, and then have Shawnee, OG, and Lima Senior at the Elida Fieldhouse. I don't think that's going to happen. I thought it might happen at the end of April if uh, they weren't going to be able to play in the state tournament. But uh, Probably just a fantasy, but uh, that would have been a fun little matchup, whether it was uh, Shawnee playing Grove, Ottawa playing Lima Senior, whatever that was. But uh, that would have been a fun uh, fun fantasy game for sure, Coach. And, and that was a great idea, Chile. You, you, you floated that to me, and I thought, wow, you know, what a what a really different year with with the passing of, of Vince and just his influence in the Lima Land and and, and we we do we 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 have a lot of great basketball minds in our area that that think of things and I, and and you're one of those guys, Matt. Where that that idea uh, it was was outstanding. I, that got me excited about high school basketball again and again. We have to follow the, the rules that are set forth for us, you know, with all the different things of the times we're in with, with social distancing and just following the mandates. But what an outstanding way to create excitement in the Lima Land area. And I, I just applaud you for even throwing that out there. Yeah, well, it would be fun. Uh, certainly in the Elida Fieldhouse, what a great venue for that. Coach, it's been my pleasure. Uh, we're up against the hour uh, that uh, we spent together. It's been a uh, privilege. I uh, appreciate uh, your friendship over the years and, and really being able to uh, enjoy each other's company and enjoy each other, not only on the radio, but off and, and being able to have uh, some great interactions. Uh, we'll look forward to when we can get together and, and uh, have that dinner that I owe you and uh, maybe even more so where we go back up. Where were we at? Okalona or uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the steakhouse up uh, by uh, Defiance with our buddy, Curdy Lehman. We'll, 
we'll have to take another road trip for sure. I love it. And I just want to conclude, I really appreciate you having me on here. And basketball has been so good to me over my lifetime. I've got to meet so many people and do so many things through this great game. And you're one of those people in the next phase of my life that I really thank Carry the Torch for Lima Land in Northwest Ohio, where you love it and you love to be around the game. And appreciate the time to spend with you. And thanks a lot. God bless. Be safe. And have a great rest of your uh, weekend, Chili. You too. Uh, you and your family, and uh, you be safe as well. Uh, always a pleasure, Coach. And that uh, will do it, folks. The latest edition of the Lima Land Hoops and History podcast. You can check it out on Spotify and Google Play. My name is Matt Childers. We'll look forward to the next uh, session as we roll on here in uh, Lima, Ohio, with a little hoops uh, when you need it most. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.